Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Thursday. It's February 15th, 28 degrees and snowing here in Old Town, and it's coming down really good. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geeboy. Good morning. Morning, Leslie. Happy Thursday or happy Friday Eve to you. And to your point, it is coming down pretty good in Park City. I'm looking at the Park Avenue and Kearns Boulevard camera as we speak, and those roads are running slushy. So if anybody's getting ready to hit the road, definitely a good idea to build in some extra time. And just throughout the high country in the northern half of the state, we'll likely be looking at some pretty rough commute conditions, more or less from this morning and likely even into this afternoon as well. The best chance of snow is actually net through around midday today, but we're still going to be holding on to a chance of snow as we go through today but out there this morning we are seeing times of heavy snow we've already seen some accumulations and as we move into the afternoon instead of a hundred percent chance that we're seeing out there right now it's going to be more on the magnitude of 60 percent which means still a two and three chance that really at any point during the day that snow could find you and that could even still lead to a slippery evening commute as well even though the daytime high in park city likely climbs to around 35 degrees while we could sneak into the upper 30s down in Heber, and it will be windy at times. We could still see a few wind gusts upwards of 20 miles per hour as our, snow, as our storm system works its way in. And through the daytime hours, we could see uh, roughly three to five inches with maybe locally getting upwards of six inches in spots and more for the mountains. And at last check, I looked at the Deer Valley snow stake. It looks like we're kind of right around six inches so far since what we saw last night. Tonight, we'll still hold on to about a 50-50 chance of snow with the overnight low eventually falling into the low and mid-20s. And then snow showers remain likely again for our Friday, but that best chance will likely be from the morning through the af early afternoon with roughly a 60% chance with a daytime high similar to what we find today. And then from Friday night into Saturday, the chance for snow will gradually go down as the moisture moves away. High pressure briefly builds in as we begin this upcoming President's Day weekend. And on Saturday should be a pretty nice bluebird day across the Wasatch back. A daytime high of 39 degrees in Park City, mostly sunny skies. But as quickly as we see quiet conditions settle in, they'll be moving right back out as we do have more active weather coming down, coming our way as we go from Sunday into President's Day on Monday and then through the first half of next week. We'll see energy and moisture approach from the southwest, and that's going to keep our daytime highs elevated, mainly in the mid to upper 30s for both Saturday and Sunday. While Sunday will yield an 80% chance of seeing snow, and each day from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, each day brings roughly a 70% chance of mainly snow showers. However, with that southwesterly flow, daytime highs could climb into the low 40s for both Tuesday and Wednesday, which means at times, depending on the timing of the moisture, there could be some rain, still expecting it to mainly be snow in Park City. But it's going to be the latter half of February, and we're going to be talking about the chance of rain and snow in Park City. It just kind of still feels like it has that early spring feel. But today, definitely snow, and we'll likely see some compromised commutes because of it, Leslie. Mm, okay, Thomas, thank you. Good morning. On the phone with us now with a look in the backcountry, we have Trent from the Utah Avalanche Center. Good morning. Uh, good morning. <clears throat> um, yeah, you know, uh, it's snowing out there in the mountains, and in some areas it's actually snowing pretty hard with uh, snowfall rates greater than one to two inches per hour. Um, today we should see five to ten inches of new snow uh, across those upper elevations today. The winds out of the southwest though have been ripping for a good bit here, maybe oh 24 hours of speeds at 15 to 25 miles per hour gusting into the 30s and 40s and that'll continue for much of the day today. 
today's storm will be short-lived, but it should stack up 10 to 15 inches of new snow by the afternoon. Um, yesterday, snow safety teams reported shallow soft slab avalanches that were easy to trigger with their skis. One backcountry group that was guided reported uh, triggering a few shallow soft slab avalanches. And uh, Mark Staples was actually up in Bountiful riding around on a snowmobile across those upper elevations and was able to trigger a wind slab avalanche that was roughly about 200 feet wide. Uh, it was on a very small slope, so it just broke away, didn't run anywhere but um, sort of tells you what's going on with the avalanches out there. Um, and that really does bring us to our first avalanche problem, which is our wind drifted snow problem for the day. And because of those strong elevated winds, these uh, winds are the perfect recipe for drifting and blowing snow. Uh, and then accompanied with that, we have wet, heavy snowfall throughout the day. We have plenty of snow available for transport. And I would expect that we can find soft slabs of wind drifted snow across all mid and elevation, uh, excuse me, across all mid and upper elevation steep terrain today. Uh, these slabs could be one to three feet deep and up to 200 feet wide. Um, so, you know, definitely nothing you'd, you'd really want to mess with out there. The other avalanche problem will just be that new snow falling from the sky. As we see the storm really juice up, it's supposed to here just now in the mid-morning hours. And as we see those rates fall greater than one inch per hour out of the sky, we'll probably see a widespread dry loose avalanche cycle. So the snow just won't be able to hang on to the slope. It'll start falling away. Um, and we'll see soft slab avalanches that fail within that new storm snow, or uh, they'll fail at our old new snow interface. So if you remember just a couple of days ago, it was sunny, that uh, old snow surface is where it's also likely to fail um, there. Leslie, unfortunately, the persistent weak layer still plagues us here. Um, while it's becoming less likely to trigger this thing, if you do trigger an avalanche, um, on the north-facing side of the compass that, you know, it can break four to six feet deep. And uh, as we saw just last weekend, these avalanches are, are massive. I'd encourage your listeners to jump on the website and take a, or take a look at those pictures. They're quite remarkable. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, will do. Thank you. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, nope, just today the avalanche danger is considerable across all mid and upper elevations. So cautious route finding, conservative decision making will be essential today. Okay, thank you, Trent. Thank you. Well, taking a look uh, again, coming up, we've got Summit County Council member Candace Hart here on deck. Later on, I'm scheduled to talk with Park City Board of Education member Meredith Reed, along with Business Administrator Randy Upton, both having to call in, and we've had some phone problems. So hopefully that goes through. And then finally, Park City Film Executive Director Katie Wang with a preview of some of their upcoming screenings. Later on, stay tuned for Cool Science Radio. Today's guests include Karim Alley, the CEO of a medical technology company called Nose. It identifies, captures, and interprets odors that are released from our breath and skin to detect disease. Then Reuters journalist Ernest Scheider has written extensively about the green energy transition and discusses that in his new book, The War Below, Lithium, Copper, and the Global Battle to Power Our Lives. All of that coming up on Cool Science Radio. And of course, you can hear Cool Science Radio every Thursday from 9 to 10. Taking a look at some local news now, the Park City Planning Commission last night granted billionaire Matthew Prince and his family approval to build a new home on Treasure Hill. Final conditions will be approved at a meeting next week. Commissioners were split 3-3 over whether to grant the Princes a conditional use permit for the home, which will hover above the hill skyline. 
Commission Chair Sarah Hall broke the tie, directing city staff to finalize approval documents. The commission deliberated on the project for some four hours. Public comment was split. Commissioners and residents praised the architecture of the home, which aims to represent Park City's mining past. Some locals said it was simply too big and doesn't match Old Town's character. Commissioners Laura Susser and Henry Sig were the most critical. They found that there was not enough public benefit for the code exceptions that the princes were seeking. KPCW will have more on the story in later broadcasts. And the Park City Council will be discussing the plans for $21 million in recreation improvements at its meeting tonight. Although Park City voters turned down a $30 million bond for recreation improvements last year, the city will be moving forward with plans to rebuild the aquatic facilities at the PC Mark and a new community center in City Park. Those funds have already been set aside in this year's capital budget. The council's review of the alternatives start in work session today at 345. It'll cost $6 million to renovate the Mark's outdoor pools, $15 million to demolish and rebuild the city park rec building. Park City Manager Matt Dye says the plan is to do a complete overhaul of the lap pool and to nearly double the size of the leisure pool. The leisure pool has been really overwhelmed. We run lots of different types of summer camps and youth amenities through that pool. So the notion that we can um, totally overhaul our lap pool will also add some depth so we can add some diving boards, which are a frequently requested element in recreational pools, and add some other elements like some better slides and water features for the younger kids and for some of the senior aquatics activities. It's a really exciting time for us. Currently, the pools are separated, and it's relatively quiet around the lap pool. The new plans, however, show the leisure pool moving closer to the lap pool, which would likely raise those noise levels. Dias says it's important for residents to let the council know what they think. We want that type of input. Please email us, call your council members, and uh, feel free to show up at the meeting. We have online streaming, in-person opportunities, or you can email us ahead of time with your input. The project will be before the Planning Commission later this month. If approved, Dias says once under construction, it could take 10 months to renovate. What that means for pool use this summer, he says, has yet to be determined. The second project will demolish the existing city recreation building near the basketball courts and build a new 15,000-square-foot community center. Dias says this would allow the city to expand its popular summer camp and to provide a facility that could be used to host other community events throughout the year. And we have a council retreat coming up at the end of this month. It'd be a wonderful place to host a council retreat, but we can also work with nonprofits, provide them meeting space. We have a myriad of open houses or community meetings throughout the year. Um, and then we have other partners and stakeholders that are kind of in the intergovernmental area. Um, it could be the county who has a, a community meeting and they want to host it in Park City. And we love the nexus of proximity to the library being in the heart of town, on transit, very, very walkable. This project wouldn't begin until the fall of 2025. In the studio now with a recap from the Summit County Council meetings this week, I have Council Member Candace Hart. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's start with the legislative update. Deputy County Manager Jana Young spoke with the Council through various bills. One is House Bill 13, Infrastructure Financing Districts. Young said that this may work as a financing mechanism that doesn't have strings attached like other legislation may, whether it's PIDs, HTRZs. So would this help with negotiations with Dakota Pacific? You know, I think the challenge with Dakota Pacific, especially um, when we're talking about these uh, financing zones, the challenges are really more about traffic density. You know, it's more about the uh, scope of the project than it is just the funding mechanism. So to the question of would it help with Dakota Pacific, 
maybe, you know, it might be something to be considered, but um, it's more looking at it as it could be a tool for other projects. House Bill 465 deals with housing affordability revisions. Um, is this helpful, a hindrance? Um, you know, honestly, uh, I, I don't know that I have a strong opinion on it at this point. You know, I think it's a little bit of wait and see. Um, it seems like it could be an okay thing. And, um, but one of the things that happens at the legislative session, at least the stage we're in right now, is we'll hear something one moment, and then literally, like, while I was in the council meeting yesterday, I was getting messages of bills that we thought were going to go through that have already changed, or someone will learn of a new bill that's coming in, and now it's taken one off. And so we're kind of in that stage, so I just don't put a lot of stock in them yet. We're kind of looking for the big things that might, you know, that you could be flagged and say, wait, that could really be a problem for us or something we really want. Um, but everything's moving around so much at the moment we're probably at the stage now where it's too late to introduce a new bill. So we're not as worried about that. Now it's about tracking the existing bills. Um, so I, I, I just am not reading too much into them yet, would be the way to, I would characterize it. Okay, but there's precedent for seeing bills pop up two days before. Yes, yes, this is the stuff we're worried about. Like, you know, that's the stuff we're trying to keep our ear to the ground and get a read on. And at the same time, you know, uh, when you're speaking about Dakota Pacific, it, but even Dakota Pacific aside, just some of the conversations with the state legislators, you know, part of what we did over last summer was we asked Roger Armstrong, who is our chair, and Melina Stevens is the vice chair, we uh, tasked them with going down to the state and trying to rebuild relationships and try to, like, get us into a better negotiating position. And by large, uh, or by all, most all accounts, this has happened. And so now we're actually in a much better place with the state. Not perfect, but we're in a better place and, you know, able to work through some of these things now. Let's uh, just jump back then, because you did have a, a meeting on Tuesday discussing Dakota Pacific. The council has canceled, canceled the Dakota Pacific meeting that was set for today, um, which was going to be the public hearing. Correct, yeah. Um, so next meeting, next week's meeting also canceled? <clears throat> um, excuse me. No, I think we have a, one meeting next week. The what's big picture of what's happened for everybody tracking it is, what we thought we would do is we'd work through um, in public. We wanted to make sure all these meetings were uh, something that everybody could see and hear and listen to. And at some point, we would get to, I don't know, call it Plan D. Uh, there isn't any such Plan D on the table. But the idea was, you know, they've, they had Plan C was the latest plan they're working on. We'd work this out. It would be done in public's eye. The public could see it. And then we'd go to this public input session so then people could weigh in on what that was. Um, not this week, but last week, the council gave a counter uh, offer or said, hey, here's what we would consider out there. And um, that really, I wouldn't say it threw a wrench, but it just really changed the dynamic of the conversations. It re-anchored it on a different set of numbers. And so then what happened, that triggered is it realized, okay, if we have to now, they need to process the information that the Dakota Pacific, we need to like see if we can come to some terms here. And then we would still get back into having a public meeting and then, you know, a public vote and, and all the normal things. But we realize is we don't need two meetings a week right now because of where we're at. We can really kind of scale back. Uh, we're playing a little bit by ear. We need to see actually at this point, I would say Dakota Pacific and the county are fairly far apart with plan C and then first what the county has proposed. So the question is, is there something that could, where we could find some common ground or middle ground? And that's yet to be determined. Okay, well, Dakota Pacific didn't seem to think that the county's counterproposal was possible. So you do believe there is some compromise here? Um, I can't speak for each of the council members. Um, you know, to, to 
hold true to the public process, we don't get to meet and as a group and discuss what each of us would take. I'm kind of like almost anyone else in the public. You know, I can, I can look at my fellow council members and I can guess or read into like what I think they would want. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm really far apart from plan C. So speaking for myself, uh, I don't know what that compromise would be at this point. Yeah. Um, any sense of how many more meetings this is going to take? I mean, will we hear something before the end of the legislature? Because I think that's what we were concerned about the legislative yeah. session because of the, there may be something waiting in the wings if this doesn't get done i don't think that pressure is there anymore because what it was there, there was the flip side of this where you know a lot of the public um opinion has been that there was some collusion or you know some behind backdoor deal the truth is there really just was like all right if we want to take advantage of an opportunity something the state could do for us we'd want to be able to take advantage of that and give them enough time like as we're talking now that where they're kind of at the stage where they're not going to run any more bills or, or most likely won't run much we were like okay well if we need a bill run or if we need something to uh, get a benefit for the people of summit county we need to give them time and since that doesn't seem to be on the table now or you know, we're at this stage where we're just really kind of getting into like some back and forth on this conversation. We probably couldn't get anything done before this legislative session anyways. So the pressure just isn't there now. All right, let's move on to funding open space purchases. County Lands and Natural Resources Director Jess Kirby gave the council an update on the Year Ranch and the 910 Cattle Ranch, the county's two latest and largest open space purchases. The purchase is still pending, so we've got to raise money to reach the uh, final purchase prices before those option agreements expire. First of the Year Ranch, a $25 million uh, purchase price. The county has put $5 million down. Kirby says that they have received $6.2 million through the Summit Land Conservancy to preserve the 150 acres or so north of SR-248. So that's almost half the money. Um, how confident are you that we get the rest? Um, I'd say we're feeling pretty bullish on all accounts, on 910 in your property. Um, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. You know, we have a, a couple things that are in process for waiting to get the official word back on some grants. But um, right now we have counting our 5 million, we have 11,450,000 towards the 25 million for the year property. And um, what the year we're thinking about doing, and I think there's some conversation with the years is do we now take some of the money and then just buy, instead of like buying all of the land at once, do we buy bits of it down and then we could protect part of the meadows like right away. And so we're looking at things like that. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, our, our intent, the council's intent with the $50 million open space bond was to try to stretch those funds as far as we could. And uh, at this point, I just huge uh, kudos to Jess and to uh, Cheryl and the crew over there. They've done an amazing job. So to be at 11450000 now out of that twenty-five is a really good sign. Um, Jess Kirby mentioned some of the takeaways from the year open house that was held earlier. The biggest one was that people want the property open and used as a working ranch. Um, is that is that going to happen? Well, one of the interesting things is, uh, you know, and I, I say this is in there's conversations. This isn't a done deal. But one of the conversations we're having is I think it's Utah Valley University and looking at taking over maybe that portion of land and ranching it. 
Um, so we're looking at some really cool, like innovative ways to keep the ranching alive, to maintain that property. We also want to maintain the health of the property. If you just let it go dormant, you know, it, it's not good for it. Um, so that is our intent. And right now, for anyone who's tracking on this one, we're in the public gathering stage. You know, we're just gathering information from the public of what they would like to see. There, we were talking about it at council last night. There's been these rumors out there, mostly from a developer through West Hills, we believe, or I believe, that's what I've heard, saying that, you know, we've approved all kinds of housing and all sorts of things, which is just completely not true. We haven't even considered it, let alone approved anything. Uh, we're really just taking input right now, and I would say the county's intention is to get open space easements on all the property and to protect it. All right. So, Jess Kirby mentioned that there was some confusion about what conservation easements do. What's the confusion? I'm not sure. I, we sent uh, Chris Robinson and Tanya Hansen went to uh, a meeting uh, on our behalf. We didn't want to get too many of us there because then we'd have a quorum. So I stayed back from that meeting, uh, so I didn't get to hear that directly. Mm, okay. Um, do the easements on the your property protect the water rights as well? So um, it's just really what a conservation easement does. Yeah. It just prevents future development. Right, exactly. And, you know, we're even looking at protecting, uh, we were talking about it just yesterday, like maybe parsing off some of the property specifically towards wetlands. Um, our water rights, I believe, are, they're separated, the, the right, the water right opposed to just the water. But, you know, our intention is to protect all the land and the water on it. Yeah, it sounds like the county is now ditching that opportunity area language that <laughs> referred to the uh, south side of the, the ranch. Yes. Why did that go wrong? Well, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there was, uh, you know, there's different groups within the building. And when someone was making the maps, they probably thought that name sounded good. I think had that been brought to the council's attention, uh, we would have quickly had said, hey, let's not use such a word as opportunity. It's too open-ended and it clearly uh, invokes ideas or, uh, I don't know, I think it just created the opportunity for people to think we were up to something different than we were. It's not that it's an inaccurate word. It, there is opportunity there, but the opportunity we're looking for is around conservation. Okay, we should note that a second open house is set for February 29th. On the 910 Ranch side of things, uh, Jess has applied for grants for that purchase as well. Again, that's a $55 million purchase. We have already paid $15 million. Grants, um, it sounds like, would cover the rest of the purchase from the U.S. Forest Service. Um, that would be easy, but $40 million is a lot of money. I mean, how, how realistic is that? Uh, very realistic. Uh, very, very high chance that we'll receive this grant, and we'll officially find out in April. Um, nothing is a done deal, um, but we are the only applicant in our region for this type of uh, grant, and we have over 30-something letters of support, recommendations, um, so if there ever is a chance to get the grant, this would be it. There's also the opportunity, if this doesn't go through, to reapply for the same grant. I think we have the chance to do it as many as like three times through the process. But um, yeah, you know, we're not so naive as to think like, oh yeah, it's just you're easily going to get this. But um, the chances are actually really good. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that money is coming, what, from the Federal Infrastructure Act that was approved? It's the Forest Legacy Grant. I'm not sure where they pull it from, but it's the Forest Legacy Grant specifically. Okay. Um, let's see. What else? There's a lot more to talk about, but we're about out of time. Uh, real quick, the Snyderville Basin Recreation District presented the 10-year strategic plan, the five-year trails plan. It sounds like the community is 50-50 on bonding this year. So what does that mean then for the new Silver Creek Village Park? 
Um, you know, it's hard to speak for uh, Centerville Basin Recreation District as far as what their plans are to go forward with this grant or, or um, you know, a bond or not. Uh, I, I think it's clear people are not happy with the property valuations that have increased and their property taxes. And so I think any bond that goes forward is going to have to really make sense to the voter. Um, I mean, just you and I as voters ourselves, you know, it's just going to need to be very clear what that would be. One of the takeaways I got from last night's meeting um, as related to the Centerville Basin Recreation District was there, there's really projecting there's a lot of need for indoor space, for fields. There's, um, we're really kind of maxed out on what our capacity is right now. So whether that's at Silver Creek Village or whether it goes through the bond or not, what I took away from it is they're really projecting a future where they need to create more indoor space. Another thing they brought up that was interesting, and I'm sure in Park City Municipality must face the same issue, but uh, a high frequency of use from people that are actually in um, Wasatch County that are up over in like the hideout corridor, that 248 corridor, where technically that's Wasatch, but you know, I'm sure they identify as being Park City people, but they're coming in and using the recreation facilities as well. So they brought up the idea, this concept of like almost like an intercept facility, you know, something that may keep people from coming all the way over to Kimball Junction, but rather something on that side. So I, my, my sort of takeaways is they need indoor space, they need to increase capacity, and they're looking at trying to do something to capture users on that side of the county or on that side of, you know, the west side of the county. And so it'd be interesting to see if they do or do not come forward with this bond idea. All right, I wanted to ask real quick, District Director Dana Jones mentioned that they're going to be doing an e-bike survey, and um, we kind of heard this from uh, Park City Manager Matt Dias yesterday. Just one of the biggest complaints is just the use of e-bikes and pedestrians on the same path. So any sense that e-bike uh, rules may be revised on Basin Trails? I, I think there will be new rules. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the things they were commenting on, and it's interesting, I brought up the same point, you know, as someone who runs and hikes, it, to me, like, the issue isn't even whether it's an e-bike or a bike. It's more foot traffic versus faster-moving bike traffic, and that creates a conflict. And, you know, as someone who owned a running store here and really helped people who were into hiking and running, there's a lot of people that are just really kind of nervous to be on trails with bikes flying by them. So uh, that was a point that we talked about last night uh, to some extent. And um, it sounds to me like what we're trying, the Basin's trying to do is really coordinate with Park City and the municipality to have the same rules as it relates to e-bikes in both areas. And then the county is looking at wanting to revise its rules and they'll have to work with Park City if they're gonna continue to do that. Um, my suggestion was exactly that, you know, like <clears throat> I brought up some references of, you know, horse trails, they look and feel different when you're on them. Usually there's water troughs, there's areas to like, they're wider. If you go on a hiking trails, usually there's stairs, handrails, more benches. You're on a bike trail, which is, we call our trails multi-use, but they have rolling whoops, bank corners. That's really designed for bike traffic. So I really think there's a wonderful opportunity if they choose to do this, to separate out some foot traffic. Then uh, what was also brought up was trails for say people with strollers, like, you know, just more wider, slower paced trails where you can go for a walk and easy, easily push a stroller around. So that was clear that all of that was on their radar. Okay, stay tuned. All right. Dennis, thanks for your time. Thank you. That's Summit County Council Member Kenneth Hart. You're listening to the local news hour on KPCW. Joining me now on the phone, I have Park City Board of Education member Meredith Reed and joined in studio by Business Administrator Randy Upton. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. 
Good morning, Leslie. Oh, good. And you've been holding tight, Meredith, so I'm hoping the, I the have. phone I have. holds so here. far so good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Randy, let's start. You just drove in from the Heber Valley. Tell me, um, how, how are roads? Yeah, not uh, not too bad as, as much as you would expect with traffic and people probably getting here to try to ski. And uh, So, yeah, just okay. took a little extra time. Okay. Um, let's start with a legislative update. Where are lawmakers with the education budget? I mean, what are you as business administrator planning on here? Yeah, so uh, the education budget's been presented to the Executive Appropriations Committee. Uh, we're expecting a 5% on the WPU. Uh, a couple of programs, dual language immersion and, and digital teaching and learning, are two programs that were on the um, consideration list, we'll say, to whether to refund them, in a, refund them in a different way or to keep them as line items, and they've kept those as line items. Uh, there are a few programs which doesn't have a great effect on Park City School District that have gone to the at-risk uh, line item, but uh, those, those are kind of the highlights. There's not a lot. There is, uh, they spent a lot of money on um, eliminating the TSSP program, which is for science teachers, special ed teachers, some of those specialty areas, and tying it more to uh, student achievement uh, for the teachers, and, and merit pay is the term we would use. Uh, so there's 200 million being set aside for that out, out of the economic stabilization fund, and then there's another 50 million that's going towards um, the Utah's all-in scholarship as well, which is about equivalent to one percent on the WPU that is there for individuals to to get that reimbursement. All right. So what does this mean then for next fiscal year? You've told us before that there will be a tax increase due to funding the teacher contracts. Is that going to be it? Yeah. So. As far as that piece is concerned, uh, a lot of it will depend on where assessed valuations come in, how much growth is, is available. We're running those calculations right now as to what the updated numbers will be. Uh, but yeah, we do anticipate that tax increase this year and next year, which was part of the three-year contract that we signed with teachers. Yeah. Okay. A couple of bill, uh, bills dealing with sensitive materials in the classroom. House Bill 29, I think that is progressing. Where do things stand with that? Yeah, that, that is progressing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, this, this process, everyone knows it's involved, knows there can be multiple substitutes and things going on there. So that's certainly a bill that we're watching closely. Um, uh, sometimes our hands are tied locally by what's done at the state level, and, and we'll just, you know, continue to watch it and, and uh, adjust accordingly. Yeah, there's kind of a partner bill with that, House Bill 417, that basically would um, allow teachers and other public school officials to be charged with a class A misdemeanor if those sensitive materials are found in their classroom or shared with students? Yeah, let me see if Meredith wants to talk about that. I'm happy to if she doesn't. <laughs> well, I mean, these bills are removing, you know, control from the local elected officials and the board. So we're not excited about that aspect of it at all we just think that you know because our boards are locally elected by the community that they best reflect the values within that community and can make those decisions for their districts which is what they're there to do so and we, and anything that has a chilling effect on educators doing their jobs or wanting to do their jobs is not helpful for producing good education results in our schools <laughs> Yeah, um, and then there's one more, the House Bill 303, which opponents say infringes on teachers' speech. Can you address that one at all? I mean, does it? Sure. I mean, there's just a lot of ambiguity in that bill. Um, there's a lot of questions about what does this really mean. 
Um, it prohibits any flags except the American flag and the Utah state flag. Um, but then it, there's a lot of other, you know, is there a university flag? Can you put your team flag? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of banners and things and, and expressions of people's personalities and, and their families. And, you know, doesn't mean you can't put pictures of a same-sex couple if you're you know, man who's married to a man or vice versa. There's just a lot of questions and um, that makes it really difficult to govern when there's a lot of ambiguity around things like that. All right. Any other bills that you wanted to, to mention before we move on? You know, from a financial standpoint, the bills, uh, we're watching the referendum bills, obviously, that uh, would require a potential vote if the board was to raise taxes. Uh, we're also watching the lease revenue bond bill, which kind of got stemmed by a couple districts, uh, you know, passing lease revenue bonds after a general obligation bond failed. So we're watching that, of course. That probably doesn't have as big of an impact on Park City School District as it does other districts in the state. But uh, really what we're watching is the ones we don't know about yet, right? The ones that come in the last minute. Those are always the ones we worry about. All right. Well, let's Can jump. Oh, I'm sorry, Meredith, yes? Oh, I was just going to refer back to a comment that Candace just made that, you know, let things move quickly in the legislature and trying to keep up with everything is a challenge for sure. Let's move on to the athletic master plan. The board reviewed this plan, which outlines changes to the district's athletic facilities and spaces. This comes after a public bond was defeated that proposed school builds as well as athletic, musical, and theatrical improvements. Um, I think that we heard a price tag of some 75 to $80 million to implement this athletic master plan. So where does that money come from, Randy? Yeah, so right, right now it's just uh, con conceptual drawings. I mean, we've been meeting with the architects to say, hey, what are some ideas for this uh, Kearns Boulevard area? Uh, they have put some price tags on it, which would be, you know, pricey. I think in the last board meet, meeting, the board was, was open to consideration of improving those areas. However, with the athletic fields and the number of fields we would be putting in, we think it'd be better. It'd, it'd benefit the entire community. And so our plan is to have more discussion with Basin Rec and with the city uh, to say, hey, what's the need out there and, and, and what's going on? As, as some folks may know, our spring sports that play outside didn't get much of an opportunity to play outside last year. Uh, or practice outside and so that you know keys into it and so we have a lot of parents that want to watch their kids play at home and uh, those are important things and so the, there's nothing concrete at this point uh, the board's approaching this cautiously uh, but we are getting ideas to say hey what could it look like and, and enhance those areas yeah so I mean what's the thinking Meredith I mean would the district attempt to go out and bond for this again or do you start looking again at those lease revenue bonds <laughs> But I think we're in the very early, early, early stage. And really, all the only concrete thing that we left with the board meeting was that we wanted to talk to our community partners more. <laughs> so um, Basin Rec and the city and make sure that we are working in concert if that's possible or where that's possible, um, because this really is a community facility as well as serving our students. And again, like Kenneth mentioned, that there's a, a demand for spaces for recreation and indoor spaces. And we have a lot of our teams that are using Basin Rec, you know, all the time. So we, we are kind of maxed out on what we have available currently, but what does it look like? What makes sense for our community? So we're, you know, we've got some drawings and that's about it at this point. 
Okay. Uh, the public also heard Tuesday that there is uh, there are some structural issues with the wall at the Echo Center. Can somebody tell us what's going on there? I stepped out during that time, Randy. Yeah. So um, I, I don't really have a lot of detailed information on that, unfortunately. So what what you hear on the recording is is the discussion there, but. Um, there, there is talk about one of the proposals was to add on a facility next to the Eccles and have it tie in. Uh, we've talked about two different ways with that to have a separate or to have it tied in. Uh, but certainly there's no, you know, public, public safety issues going on there. It's just a matter of the architects looking at, hey, how would we tie in that other building? Okay. Um, and then in terms of the ninth grade addition that's going to happen to the high school, has that even started? I guess I don't have the, the direction. I mean, I can't see that happening. Yeah, it, it, it has started. Mm -hmm. um, it has started, and as uh, our COO, Mike Tanner, reported in the board meeting, you're going to start seeing, uh, as in the springtime, you're going to start seeing a lot of steel erection going on and uh, a lot of slabs going in. So. Um, and that's still on schedule, right? Our, our intent is to reconfigure for the 25-26 school year. Uh, this project is anticipated to be done before the 25 years, as well as the project at Ecker Hills. So uh, you'll, you'll see more going for, forward. It's been mostly uh, stuff in the ground and the peripheral stuff that a lot of times people don't see. All right. And I guess that, that the athletic plans five, maybe seven years out. So the high school construction would be well done before any oh. athletic improvements were made yes correct because we've got to have we've got to house those students in treasure mountain before we move them to the high school so that completion's got to be done so we can transition them over yeah. okay the money's been raised for the new high school foot uh, scoreboard does that go in this spring yeah so that that contract has been signed uh, that's been all by private donors and uh, we appreciate those donors and through the local passing league uh, but yeah that'll be going in uh, here pretty shortly all right, and um, with the snow, and but you also have spring break or winter break, I guess, coming up. We've got uh, the snow pile removal supposed to happen next week. So, any updates on that? Can it work? Can it happen with snow in the fall? Yeah, so they'll they'll still move forward with the snow. Uh, it's a little more work, obviously, if they've got to move snow around. Uh, but it, it will start Monday morning and go on for that week. We're we're over forty percent complete on removing those those soils. Uh, anticipating it'll take into you know after the next break uh, as well but they'll get as much done in this next week as they can and uh, you know follow all the safety measures and protocols test before test after make sure there's nothing changing mm -hmm. so given though all of the water content if anything did have to be hauled out to Tooele I mean you're paying for the water as well yeah so that could that could affect us right because the dirt's gonna be heavier uh, with with the soil with the moisture content so uh, but at the same time, we're following our plan that was that was discovered. We knew snow would be a possibility, and we'll just continue on. The sooner we get those piles removed, the the better for all of us involved. I think. Yeah. So the April break um, it would would completely take care of the piles at that. Uh, point. That's a, that's our hope. Whether it will or not really depends on again weather um, and traffic and all those types of things. So these trucks will be fighting ski traffic, obviously, with the great snow we have. And so uh, it, it could go into the summer after school's out, but our hope is it would be done by, by the end of school. Uh, but if not, we're prepared to move on. All right. Uh, school fees, the board uh, accepted public comment on the school fees and spending plans. Um, what are some of the proposed fee changes and, and why do they need to go up? Yeah, so some of the some of the fees, first of all, I'll just say I think one of the great things about our school board is, is they want to make sure every student under our under our purview 
has the opportunities that they want to participate in. And so uh, the, the, the board takes fees very seriously. Uh, the fees are required to be adopted by April 1st. The state of Utah requires us to do that. We have to have two public hearings or open meetings, which we've, we did the first one, obviously. Um, there's a few fees just dealing with, um, you know, streamlining banquets and awards, put the same amount on teams. There are a few as costs have gone up for uniforms or travel or those types of things. Uh, there really isn't a significant increase in fees. There are a couple of new fees. Uh, Esports, for example, which is already going on at Treasure Mountain Junior High. Those kids like to have their own uniform and those types of things. Uh, so even to fundraise nowadays, because fundraising is part of the fee policy, uh, even to fundraise, we've got to set those fees out. And so there is legislation right now to take fundraising out of, out of the fee equation or formula, which would be a lot better for schools. But uh, until then, we'll, we'll follow the rules we need to follow. So nothing significant overall. Uh, but the fees that are paid in total are significant. The board had that discussion, and we'll come prepared next board, board meeting with some more detailed information for them to consider. And then I don't know if Meredith has any comments on that. Yeah, I mean, I do just that from the board's perspective, you know, Park City School District was the first one to eliminate academic fees. And that was part, and we were the trailblazer for Utah and that, you know, following our, our example, the Utah State Legislature got rid of school fees or academic fees for the other districts in the state. And that, you know, is really an important issue for our students who show up and want to go to school. And that's challenging for families. So we want to be aware and really try to eliminate any barriers that we can. Um, we were certainly focusing on uh, food in our conversation on Tuesday, um, during the pandemic, we had a grant from, I think it was USDA that helped where any kid that showed up and wanted to eat got fed, and we really liked that as well. So we're just exploring ways that we can help get kids involved in activities and sports that they want to do and, and make sure that no kids are hungry. Okay. So. Um, finally, the, uh, the board was scheduled to adopt a, a final calendar for next school year. Um, any major changes with that? No, I mean, I think we, you know, we discussed this with our community, our parents, our um, educators, and we went with the option that I think they preferred, and, and we heard from the community as well. So nothing too exciting, but oh. we're, yeah. Okay, anything <laughs> we'll, else? We'll you be in school. Okay. <laughs> anything else you want to mention, Meredith? Um, yeah, well, I'm just really happy that our district, um, you know, issued the statement in support of Granite School District and calling for Natalie Klein censure and that the state school board did, um, you know, remove her from all committees and ask for her resignation. So I think that's really important in combating bullying and harassment of Utah students. And then also, um, just want to make the community aware that there will be a planned sheriff's um, training at Trailside on February 20th and 21st. So please don't be alarmed if you see a lot of police activity at Trailside. It is a planned operation going on that day. Okay, with the school and students? Well, school will be out. Oh. <laughs> so it's over over winter break. So okay. no students there, just law enforcement. Okay. Randy, anything that you want to add? Nope. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you. That's Park City School District Business Administrator Randy Upton, along with school board member Meredith Reed. You're listening to the local news hour here on KPCW.
Joining me now on the phone from Park City Film, I have Executive Director Katie Wang. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad you're here. So let's see. Uh, talk about some of the upcoming screenings. It looks like you've got some uh, Academy Award nominees coming up. Yes, well, this is our favorite time of the year for cinephiles. Um, I know people like the Super Bowl and, you know, some of those holiday events. But for us, the pinnacle of the year is the Academy Awards. So um, we have a lot of the nominees. If we haven't already screened them, um, we're bringing some of the Best Picture nominees um, and other um, <clears throat> in other categories as well to our screen. And what I love about the films we have coming up is they're all about the condition of being human, but told kind of from different perspectives. Like, what does it mean to be a female human or a black American human or a gay human or, in the case of... Uh, one of our films coming up later in the month, a female and a polyhuman. So um, it's just kind of looking at that. It's to see the trajectory of where films have come to in the past couple of years since COVID closures and now you know films are coming back um, into full swing. Just really looking at kind of how we all connect to each other and you know our differences, but also our, our commonalities. So this weekend, um, one of my favorite films of the year uh, is called Poor Things. And this is one of the second most nominated films this year at the Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Emma Stone. And it's an irreverent and whimsical revisionist tale of Frankenstein. If you're familiar with Mary Shelley's classic, uh, with William Defoe as Dr. Frankenstein and an enchanting Emma Stone as the monster. And of course, she learns what it means to be human, but in a very unconventional way. Um, they're over the top costumes and scenery, very witty dialogue. Turns out she's a great uh, comedic actor. Um, and it's definitely one of those wild rides that you are delighted to be along um, on the, the journey. So this is underwritten by Mountain Town Music. So big thanks to them for their support. Um, and that'll be Friday, Saturday at 7 and then Sunday at 6. So great film there. Um, then we've got American Fiction coming up, which is nominated for five Oscars uh, with Jeffrey Wright. This is a satirical comedy about a black novelist who tries to rebel against the publishing world's, world's hypocrisies that limit black storytelling to trauma and poverty narratives, and then ends up finding unlikely success um, and that challenges his worldviews and assumed identity. Um, our special screening, which I alluded to earlier um, at the end of this month, actually on Leap Year Day, my favorite time of the year, the 29th of February, um, is called Pasang in the Shadow of Everest. And this is about Pushang Sherpa's uh, relentless quest to become the first Nepali woman to summit Everest in 1993. Um, this is a fantastic film. I got to see it at the Telluride Film Festival. Um, and it's just, you know, what she was up against um, being a woman, being a minority, you know, religious minority, an ethnic minority, um, kind of going up against this huge industrial complex of climbing, um, you know, on the world's tallest mountain is just impressive what she was able to accomplish. So if it's a free screening, definitely encourage folks to come out for that on the Thursday evening. Um, that only happens once every four years. <laughs> um, then we've got a couple other films coming up in March, All of Us Strangers with Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Very personal story about newfound love and finding peace with a traumatic past and the experiences that shape us. Um, a couple of special screenings. Um, with Peace House, we're doing a film about domestic violence um, called This Is Where I Learned Not to Sleep. Um, a fun matinee screening um, called Aliens Abducted My Parents and I Feel Kind of Left Out, <laughs> which is probably wins the award for best title of a film. This is a Sundance Film Festival premiere from last uh, festival in 23, part of our Family Film Fest series. Um, and then the Oscar shorts and our Oscar party. So if you're looking for the gems of filmmaking, um, please come out and see the Oscar shorts and join us for a little fun festivity, a little fete um, on the eve of the Academy Awards. It's a fundraiser for Park City Film, but also just a celebration of the best time of the year for us cinephiles.
Okay, so the Oscar party is open to everyone or just members? Nope, it's open to everyone this year. Last year we just had it for members. We've been trying to figure out post-COVID kind of who, we, we don't have a huge space in the community room, um, but this year we're opening up to non-members as well, slightly different ticket price, but we'll have heavy apps done by Dent Your Taste Catering before the, the film, and then we show the documentary shorts that night, which are always, mm -hmm. um, I would say always the most interesting, but certainly the most thought-provoking and generate a lot of conversations. So we thought it would be a perfect pairing for that evening um, for folks to kind of get to know each other, see some great films, and then have the opportunity to, to reconnect afterwards and talk about what they've just seen. So it's always a fun night. Um, and fancy dress, of course, is always always acceptable on Oscar night. Okay, so how did you do uh, for Sundance? I know that's one of the fundraisers for you with all of the uh, beverage, food and beverage sales. So this was our best year ever, actually. So proud to say, um, I want to give a huge thanks to our amazing core of volunteers. We had a lot of curveballs this year um, with people getting sick and just, you know, you know, usual shenanigans that um, always happen when you plan a big event like the Sundance Film Festival. But our volunteer crew was exceptional this year. They're always amazing. Um, but just, you know, they, I think what makes us successful ultimately is, are the people that that help support us, right? When people come to our concession stand, not only is it kind of locally curated food, which is fun and a great way to support the local community, but it's people that really love film, right? They're there be for their pa because of their passion, not because they have to be there. And I think that really, um, it, that people can feel that, that patrons from all over the world that come to our venue can feel that and are happy to give us extra donations in the form of a tip. We had a corporate sponsor, DoorDash, this year. Um, they're one of the Sundance Film Festival sponsors and they did a couple active which is certainly helpful um, for our bottom line, but just um, a lot of fun and it was great to be back in action for a second year. Fewer screenings, fewer venues, um, as everyone's been talking about, but certainly for us, we saw almost every single screening was completely full. So that's for us means more popcorn for sale, so over 5,000 boxes. So you can't, can't um, be sad about that. So yeah, no, so it was a great year for us. It was really exciting. Okay, well, great, congratulations. Katie, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Katie Wang is the executive director of Park City Film.